Have you ever had a situation where you got almost all the way to where you thought happiness would finally arrive? You got close enough that you could smell it, but you never actually touched it? How do you think you'd handle that? My guest this week is Sam Rowe, an AFL footballer who was still a teenager when his footy dream came true and he was drafted as a rookie for the Sydney Swans. He spent one season on the bench and then another season on the bench, but never achieved AFL selection and was delisted. After a few years in Adelaide playing for Norwood, Sam was recruited by Carlton, yet early in his debut season for the club, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. How Sam overcame the disease and then went on to play 100 games in the AFL is an absolutely brilliant story, which I was uplifted by, I was inspired by, and I know you will be too. But first, I'm going to play some ads. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Get a nice warm shower. So as you know, it gets a little bit saggy. It's not all contracted up, so you can feel everything pretty well. Um, and just run, run if I just run your, your ball in between your, you know, your thumb and your, your first finger, and just gently rub it around. And if you can feel any, if it feels all normal and squishy, and know what your normal is, because um, everyone is different. Some people might have um, normally some different feeling testicles. But know what your normal is, and then if you feel any changes, any hard lumps or anything, then that's a sign to go get it checked. So, um, but in order to do that, you need to do it um, semi-regularly to know what your normal is. That is former AFL football player, testicular cancer survivor, and Movember ambassador Sam Rowe. And this is Osher Ginsberg Better Than Yesterday.
Hello and welcome. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for being here. This is a show that since 2013 has been here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. Something that you'll hear on this show, every show, is guaranteed to do just that. There's hundreds of episodes going back all the way to 2013. I'm here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays and Wednesdays with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. I'm Osher Ginsberg. I'm a podcaster. I'm a TV host. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I am a late-night podcast intro recording guy. I'm getting up in the morning to go and visit my surgeon to hopefully get the all clear so I can ride my motorbike again. Uh, and I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much for everyone that popped into Discord. It's lovely to see the community in Discord growing. If you want to join us there, there's no algorithmic time feed. It's just people chatting. And when you finish reading everything, you're done. When you leave, it's great. The link is in the show notes. I'll get Andy to put it in there. A quick update on the news show that I talked about a couple of Fridays ago, and then we premiered um, a couple of days later. We're very close to securing a venue for Fridays in late January in Sydney. As soon as I know, as soon as it's locked up, I'll let you know, but it's all shaping up pretty well. Um, who knows, we might even end up in Melbourne for the comedy festival. We're trying, it's still late in the game. Uh, again, I'm literally trying to build a plane in the air, but fuck, why not? Just start and see what happens. And so far, it's happening okay. I have to say a massive congratulations and a huge kudos to my dad pod co-host, Charlie Clawson. Dad pod's the other podcast I make with Charlie. It's a parenting podcast. And I think the other night at the Australian Podcast Awards, Charlie would have taken home the gong for the most travelled podcast awards participant for the night. He woke up in Cambodia, flew in, I'm pretty sure through Brisbane, went down to his house in the Northern Rivers, dropped his bags, spent an hour with his family, went back to the airport, flew back to Sydney, walked off the plane into a cab, straight into the theatre and sat down next to me in the front row, uh, ready to go. He'd been awake for 20-something hours and I was like, cool man, with a third award in, should be fine because we were up for Best Parenting Podcast. And I was like, here we go. And as the person who was presenting the award walked across the stage, it's one of those kind of newfangled um, Perspex awards that's engraved and you can see straight through it. We were sitting in the front row. I could read the fucking winner and it didn't say dad pod, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, we got the silver. We're the number one of everyone that isn't first. We got the silver medal for best parenting podcast and it was a superb night with Charlie and Bree and Rachel. It was epic to be there. And after the show, Maggie Dent, who rightly won best parenting podcast, she came up and gave me the most wonderful hug. She's a dream. She's such a lovely lady and um, it was really nice. It was a really nice night. And um, what else happened this week? Oh, huge week in Canberra. I thought to myself, like, why should fossil fuel lobbyists have all the fun? So I popped down in Canberra. I sat on the board of directors for a, a, a body called We Ride. It's an industry, cycling industry body uh, that works with government, local, state and federal to, you know, hope, hope make Australia a better place for bicycles. And I went down there to lobby some politicians for better bike infrastructure. And look, it's not an all expenses paid mining junket through Western Australia, but fuck, I'd say it was heaps of fun, way more fun than looking at a hole in the ground. At one point, I'm on the back of a cargo bike being pedaled at pace 
by the former Speaker of the House, the Honourable Andrew Wallace MP, the member for Fisher, and he was putting the heat on as he hanged across the forecourt along the pathway that runs in the middle of the fountain of Parliament House. It was absolutely bananas. Pedaling up a hill with a leg suspender. I've got a photo with um, uh, Monique Ryan, Helen Haynes, and a leg suspender, like three incredible MPs that have all been on the podcast. It was so good. It was a really, really good morning. But so it's been a big week. And it is the last week of November, which brings me to my guest today. Sam Rowe is a former AFL footballer. He's a carpenter. He's a cancer survivor. And he's a Movember ambassador. It is, a, it is the last week of November. You can barely kind of see that I'm, I'm trying real hard, guys. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get there, though. Originally from Walla Walla in the Riverina in New South Wales, Sam, at 198 centimetres tall, Hey, look, he found early success in Australian rules football or AFL as we call it sometimes. When, look, his career was not a linear path and Sam made his AFL debut at 25, a full seven years after he was first drafted as a rookie to the Sydney Swans. A lot happened in those years, including a diagnosis, surgery, and chemotherapy treatment for testicular cancer. Sam's story is not only one of inspiration, it's one that shows how just because you think life will turn out in a certain way, the way it actually turns out might be more interesting, might be even more amazing than you ever could have imagined. Sam's a superb human. He's a great ambassador for Movember. Enjoy this conversation with Sam Rowe. I'm going to try and speak at as many sporting analogies that I possibly can that will make you absolutely, absolutely cringe. Mate, I just play every game like it's my first game. All right, I rely on the training. Here we go. And I fall back on my skills. I fall back on my skills. And look, we all have off days and I can't ever take for granted that Mm. my performance, Mm -hmm. that previous performance will be an indicator of future performance. And I have to have the humility to understand that sometimes I'm out of my depth and that's when I've really got to dig deep. That sounds pretty good, mate. That sounds very good. Keeps the media absolutely nothing, but you say a lot of words. Absolutely. And this is a podcast in four quarters and yeah. uh, full credit to the boys. <laughs> uh, it's going to be great. Sam, I'm so, I'm so great to, so happy to see you. You and I meet at a very, a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the second week of November when you're not quite oh. where you want to be. You're trying as hard as you can. <laughs> I need to get a bit better lighting because, well, honestly, I hope you can get that through the mic or through the camera That's there. pretty good. Oh, okay. You've been complimented to start. That's good. Well done. My my problem is there's there's I think there might even be enough of it because I'm so old. Most of it's grey, well, so it doesn't mm. actually read very well. <laughs> I'm getting some of that too. Watch, don't worry. That's um, certainly got a little tinge of a tinge of ginger, and a couple of greys as well coming through at the moment. So very, at this very point, nice. at this point, I would take ginger because it at least has some colour in it. Um, I, I used to be, I used to be strictly uh, off season. Used to be beard town. I would yeah. go straight from November to December beard, and that would just run right through till <laughs> like February when we did bachelor. But yeah. now all of my beard is white except my moustache and the left hand side of my handlebar. So I look like Lemmy who who burned his face off trying to light a cigarette, and like only <laughs> half my, so. Oh, anyway, look, 
this is the month to make it look good, though, and just accept what have we got? Oh, she's in that. That's all I'm we can trying do. To do my, trying to do my part. And yeah. I, what I do, what I did love when November first showed up, uh, mid two thousands, uh, early two thousands. It made me very happy, Sam, because I was always of the opinion that sport was always better with beards and moustaches. <laughs> it just was. And yeah. I, I wonder if, you had, if you'd like to weigh in on my theory. I, well, all the, the footy purists would say that footy was better um, in the 80s and the 90s and some say the game might have changed or some say the moustaches went away. You know, that's if we think about it, Osh, maybe that's all it is. The facial hair got less, the footy got worse. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, because I, I mean, I grew up in uh, Queensland where, I mean, look, I'm going to be full disclosure, bro. Like, yeah. I, I'm the son of two Euros who is like, <laughs> yeah. what are these fucking games? They, they're carrying the ball. That one's got too many goalposts. Where's the soccer? Yeah. Like, that's the <laughs> only one that kind of. So it wasn't really a part of. You know, it wasn't those moments sitting down with mm. my family or, yeah. you know, as many men my age go with my dad, you know. Yeah. It was NRL. It was mm. uh, rugby league. That was yep. the thing. And, oh, man, Wally Lewis had a moustache that was – it just struck terror into the hearts <laughs> of any New South Welshman. It was amazing. Yeah, and, I, I know. It's, it is just very impressive. Very impressive. I've managed to shake his hand once and I, I was like when I met Prince. I'm like, oh, just thank you is all I could say to him. Thank you. You let me connect with, you know, the guys I, I didn't know how to connect with. Uh, you, Where are you right now? I'm in I'm in Sydney. Where are you right now? Uh, I'm in Melbourne, so um, at home at the moment. So, yeah, I've been in Melbourne since I started playing at the Blues, which is in 2012. So um, Melbourne's been home for the last 10 years. And I, I do have to ask your your hometown of Walla Walla is there, like that's pretty aquatic at the moment. Is everyone okay? <laughs> You've done your research. That's good, Osh. Um, look, I think Walla, where I grew up, is okay. Like, there's, I've got some family around. Um, my sister lives in Echuca or just out of Echuca, so she's been it's been pretty wet there at the moment. Mum's in Wagga, so it's it's wet all around where I grew up. To be honest, it's very wet, which is honestly it's not very good at the moment. No, it's a and it's it's a it's a tricky thing for people in metropolitan areas to understand if they've never been out mm. there. Uh, in that, just how flat it is, you think, oh, floods. Mm. Why is this all this? You drive past these, you know, crossings and go prone to flooding. What? How? <laughs> yeah. And and then you, you kind of see it like now. You go, oh, mm. that's why, and that's how, mm. and. Um, it is just so isolated, and so many parts of that our country are just held together with these little spindles of infrastructure that mm. are just so vulnerable to to extreme weather. So, you know, my, mm. I'm really thinking a lot of, of people who are who are that in that part of the country. It's 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 pretty tough. And look, I I know that you know we I don't want to make light of it, but in lucky it's the off season because it's rain in rain like this. No one's playing anything, are they? Oh uh-huh. well. Like honestly, some of this rain has been, oh, as I said, it's been really destructive, and people would um, it'd be shocking for football or you know sport and stuff to be played in. So, obviously, the Cricket World Cup only just got through, really. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's been wreaking havoc all, all over the place at the moment. And and that's on the greatest grounds with the most professional groundskeepers <laughs> on the planet. You know, when you think of like a a regional footy oh, ground that's also the cricket ground, some they, of those places uh, would be fucked. The, the, Honestly, all the local like where I grew up, in a good winter, there's only you know a few inches of mud 
But you know, if right. this was the winter, it would just be they'd be shot. You would barely be able to play anything on them. So, right, yeah, you know. But that's the way it is in the country. So you, you get on with it, <laughs> don't you? Where I grew up in, in in Brisbane and when I spent time in America, it's the first question that you ask a tall kid uh, <laughs> is, oh, so you play basketball. Uh, at what point did people start going, you're going to be a good ruckman? Like when did people start identifying that you, you're 196, you're uh, yeah. you know head and shoulders taller than me? At what point did people start not ever con- contemplating that you might be able to offer things in the intellectual world or from the creative <laughs> standpoint just go, no, nope, it's balls for you? Um I honestly, it was, I was probably later than what other typically some other guys that come through and play AFL would be. I wasn't all that good as a junior in comparison to others. I didn't play um, like many rep teams and stuff like that. But I was, as I was, I think I had a big growth spurt when I was about 16 right. um, and really shot up. And then I played a bit of, um, you know, underage rep footy when I was 17, um, 18. And sort of just really started to come on, come on from there. So I was probably pretty lucky to get drafted originally to Sydney when I first got rookie. Uh, I was pretty lucky, I think, at that stage because I was very skinny. Um, yeah, tall and skinny. I weighed 81 kilos when I first got rookie. Oh, strong, strong, I'm sure. <laughs> strong 81. I, I live in the part of Sydney where um, the – so for people that – went may not be familiar with it or people living overseas. He's talking mm-hmm. about the Sydney Swans, which are the mm-hmm. AFL team down the road from us here. Mm-hmm. And um, when you get drafted as as a rookie, you the the club helps organise accommodation for you. And um, there's right now, I don't know how it was when you were there, but there's, there's a couple of share houses over in Maroubra yep. where uh, I'm guessing they were the places that you stayed. Because uh, I there's a place up the road, I don't have a sauna in my house, but through my hip recovery, I've been going there. And I just got chatting with these two kids. So like, from like the far, like very similar kids to you, you know, they're like from a regional town, yeah. uh, you know, they, they know a hundred people who've known them their whole lives. And now they're living in a house in Maroubra with <laughs> all these other dudes. And like, I was amazed. We got talking pretty deep, pretty quick. I was amazed at how much support they had because as we saw on the weekend, there was a, a cricketer who fell over at a party and mm. broke his fibula and that's it. He's 35 you know, that's it. No season for you. When you got there, what was it like getting off the plane and getting into that environment where you now you're the, maybe yeah. the best footy player you've known and now I'm mm. in a house with these other dudes and we're all competing for that spot? Mm. Oh, it was pretty daunting because as um, sort of touched on, so I grew up in town of 800 people, um, grew up on a farm and I had no idea what professional sport was or really what the expectations were. Moved in with a couple other guys in the share house in Randwick, which the club had um, set up for me. And it was, it was honestly, it was great. I you, basically instantly become mates with everyone there because most of the guys are interstate people, almost everyone was, came from interstate. So everyone's in, everyone had been in the same situation. Um, so you ended up becoming really close with all the other teammates in Sydney. And I think. It's unique in that sense that like those footy clubs in those interstate clubs, I think, I don't know, everyone talks about the Swans culture and it's so strong and it is, and I think they've, they've been so strong for so long, but I think it's innately a little bit of that, that everyone is so tight because you're just trying to do this environment pretty much not knowing anyone else other than your teammates. Yeah. So the, the only people you're hanging out with 
The only people you get to know them so well because you spend almost every moment with them, literally. So I, I think that's um, it's quite unique, and it's, it's it was honestly it was after the first little bit it was unreal. You're obviously carrying the weight of expectation of the 800 people in your town, um, and <laughs> as week after week goes by, when you, they never see you running onto the field, um, mm-hmm. do they? Do they call your parents? Do they find your, your parents at the pub or do they go, hey, what's going on there? Like how, what's that feeling yeah. like? Not only like I'm, am I going to get a run, do you get the feeling like oh, mm. what, what are my family going through? Uh, I didn't necessarily feel pressure from anyone where I grew up. I think I felt like everyone was really interested because yeah. it's, um, you know, it was typically not a whole lot happens around that area. So um, I, felt, I felt quite in the sense that most people that I knew were excited for me mm. and would just hope that it would go well, really, rather than any real pressure from those guys. I think the pressure to perform and succeed comes from yourself yeah. or myself and then yeah, the expectations of the, the coaches in the footy club, really. What's it like, though, when, you know, week after week goes by and some of these guys that you've met and you mm. start at the same time, they start to, you know, get a glimpse of an opportunity here and there and, because uh, mm. you you stayed in that kind of orbit. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was that yeah. like? It's a, it's a it's a mental challenge, isn't it? Really. Like yeah. I I felt like I was pretty. I felt like in myself I was pretty raw and had a, a long way to go. Yeah. But there was times, uh, probably more in the second year I was at the Swans, where I was, oh, you know, and the coach said I was close to getting a game. Yeah. But I never did, and I think I learned. I honestly, I learned more after I was cut and delisted from them and told that my, you know, my footy career was done than in the actual moment. Like there's, there was, I had like a, a moment where um, I was, you know, I was 18, 19, I was pretty intimidated to speak to the senior coach, right? Paul yeah. Ruse was the coach at the time and I, I was pretty intimidated. I never really had a conversation with him, the senior coach, because I was, I was a bit too scared to actually talk to him about how, my performance was or anything. I'd speak, I'd stuck to my, you know, the development coaches and the people that I worked with, but I didn't really put myself out there for the senior coach. And I remember he I, he spoke to me about, he's like, you know, because I was, almost had another position for the third year there, but he was the one that's told me, no, we're, we're not going with you, you're being delisted, thanks very much. And I just remember actually speaking to him honestly for half an hour or so. Wow. And I remember walking out of that meeting going, why the fuck didn't I speak to this guy for the last two years? Like not that anything might have changed, but I would have had a much better understanding of exactly what he wanted from me and the expectations of the senior coach, the man making the decisions, yeah. what he actually wanted from me rather than, you know, hoping that what I was doing was right. Um, so I, I honestly, I, I walked out of that time when, when he sacked me going, fuck, why didn't I just have these conversations with him earlier? Because I, I learned in that moment, I, I grew up, I think, Yeah. and going, geez, he wasn't that intimidating, to be honest. Part of me wonders, like I've, our, our eldest, she's, she's finished school now, but um, she danced for a long time and um, she was doing 14 hours a week, like a lot. And I, I don't know if you know many dancers, they are physical, they are strong, strong, strong people. It is it, yep. grueling stuff. And yep. I would go to these, you know, recitals or whatever, and 
always the same kids are doing the solos. And I asked my wife, I was like, what's going on? And she goes, oh, I am not going to be the mum that calls and hassles the teacher as to why little Jennifer isn't getting mm. a solo. And <laughs> once yeah. I realised that, was like, oh, shit, right. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes there's better kids on the stage, but the one whose mum is advocating, um, you know, stage mum, stage dad, mm. the one whose parent is advocating is the one that gets the slot. I'm wondering, yep. is there any of that going on in the in the, in oh. the rookie scene? Oh, honestly, yes. I, I think that's that's a lot of it. So that's what I learned about that early situation. So you have to put yourself out there yeah. because if you don't, someone else will, and then it's on you to perform. So then if I can back up, and if a performance backs up what I'm trying to say that I can do, yeah. then then you're away and you start to build that um, confidence with the coaches and the confidence with your teammates that you can actually perform. But I think, yeah, definitely it's competitive amongst your teammates because if you don't compete with your teammates, then you'll, you'll just get – you'll be gone. You'll, be, you'll come and go like I would have seen hundreds of probably people that I've been on the list with, but they, a lot of them come and go and yeah. that's it. You, you never really hear from them again and I definitely – Learned that in the first part of my career that, you know what, if I got, ever got another opportunity, then I wouldn't be um, hesitant in putting myself forward and just get trying to get any any opportunity I possibly could. And then it was up to me to back it up. That's such an important lesson. I remember I learned something, I learned the same. You know, my, my buddy Youngie, mm. he puts it this way. He's like, no one's going to walk down your driveway and knock on your front door and offer you the job. Mm. All right? You, yep. you, you're absolutely mm. right to have the not necessarily confidence, but just to go, no, I'm here and this is what I'm here for. I'm going to tell this person, mm. you know, and then they give me the chance and then I can prove what I've just mm. said. And if there's a mismatch yep. there, that that's something I can work on. But if they mm -hmm. never know, then that's kind of on me. And that's, you know, that's kind of a, a, a thing to grapple with. And so you, you leave, you leave the swans or oh, oh, shit, what do I, what do I do now? Like what, what move is the next move? You go to, you go to Adelaide to play um, with the SANFL. Like, what's what's that scene like as a player who was drafted to the major leagues, was drafted to the AFL, and now mm. plays for the SANFL? SAFL? SANFL? Oh, it's like American. I'm yeah. so confused with it. <laughs> <laughs> the Sandful. Yeah, I, I, so, oh, look, it was really good. I moved. The initial move was all of my thinking was I want to get back in the AFL. I want to get back in the AFL. Um, so the advice was to go and play the best footy that I could and give myself the opportunity. So going to the Sandful uh, was really good footy. The move was great. Like, uh, honestly, I had a f an awesome time in Adelaide. I loved yeah, my time there. Um, I met great people. You know, it was a good footy club. It was reasonably professional and um, it was a good standard of footy. And, I, you know, I think I went there with, you know, as I said, i just come off, the, off an AFL list. But I went there with confidence that, all right, sort of that mindset again, I'm just going to give it everything that I've got and put myself out there and just be the man um, and see where it takes me, you know. And I think um, that that mindset helped me in performing well in footy yeah. and then, um, I don't know, I sort of I felt like I really, that was a point where I grew up a bit as well for that move and um, matured as a person, I think. And, yeah, I sort of tried to carry that mindset through from there and it's, basically held me pretty good stead. When I, when I lived in America, I was always, 
I was always quite impressed with the idea that the pathway to the NFL or the NBL, mm. sorry, N NFL or NBA is through university and that you can't be on the squad unless you are getting a degree. And look, there may be some fudging of numbers depending on how great someone's <laughs> athletic okay. skills are. This is true. <laughs> but yeah. it just kind of, what I liked about it is it, it recognised that, look, you know, it's like when we did Australian Idol. We we had to listen to 12,000 people sing to find one girl, Sebastian, and that's <laughs> that's the reality of it, right? That would be brutal, yeah. But for the, for the 11,999 other people who haven't got a, a backup mm. plan, you know, mm. where, when you were in Adelaide, did you kind of go, well, oh, I'm going to have to figure out what else I can do if this doesn't work out? Like why... Mm. When did you start to look for a redundancy or, or just something else to to have as oh, your definition? It was definitely at that point. So Sanford was semi-professional, but, um, you know, I absolutely at that point. Um, basically, one of the the main things is I spoke to a few different um, Sanford clubs when I was going over there, but one of the main things that I asked of them was to find me a carpentry apprenticeship. Wow. So basically, I'll, I'll come and play for you. If, if you can hook me up with a carpentry apprenticeship. So um, it was Norwood who I played for were basically the first one to say, yep, we've got a sponsor. One of our sponsors is a builder. Amazing. Um, and they will, they'll put you on. So it was like, all right, bang, we'll, we'll, I'll play at Norwood. So definitely, definitely at that point it was um, I still wanted and my goal was to play AFL again. Um, but clearly I've got the rest of my life um, – that's happening and I need to have something. And uh, carpentry was something that has always interested me. I grew up on a farm. I was always building things and, you know, always doing stuff. So um, building carpentry was always there as, as a passion and things that, I, things that I liked, but footy was probably always the first passion. But, um, yeah, certainly at that point it was that was reality where, okay, footy is, can be a professional uh, can be a profession and be awesome, but the reality was definitely at that stage. Um, first year apprentice, um, yeah, battling away. You don't want to be Kenny Powers. You want to have someone else to, to fall back on, you know. <laughs> well, now, guys, so I've got to ask. So you're what? You're two thousand. You're twenty one yeah. years old. You're nearly two meters yeah. tall. Were they playing the same kind of apprentice bullshit games on you? <laughs> <laughs> no, to be honest, I didn't get treated very poorly. I felt okay. like. I had a bit of a step up on some of the, right. yeah, you know, like a little 16-year-old kid that's, uh, you know, would just get bullied by people, but good boss, uh, good yeah. company. So I can't, I honestly can't complain too much about that. Well, he did the right thing because he's in a, if they're uh, a sponsor, they want you to do, you know, to play well. Um, mm. And so therefore they're going to make sure that, uh, maybe <laughs> don't carry that up the stairs. I don't have a balustrade yet. Uh, maybe well, let's, let's get someone else <laughs> yeah. to, to do that. <laughs> um, exactly. But I, if you watch any, you know, highlight reels of any kind of, you know, injury or, or, or whatever, like literally in, in a in a, a 125th of a second, that's an MCL gone uh, or that's mm. a shoulder gone. It's this not even a blink of an eye and then your entire pathway is completely changed. Mm. And if you don't have anything to back it up, if you don't have somewhere else to go or somewhere else to do, yeah. not even physically, it's like mentally, like what are you going to do? You know, and I'm mm. sure you would have seen that in your colleagues in the past. Uh, absolutely. So I think as as I went on, 
I definitely knew and learnt and, you know, I was lucky enough to get drafted again when I was 24 to Carlton. But I, I always knew that footy could go in an instant, whether it was injury or, you know, I just wasn't good enough, I wasn't going to get there. I knew that it was always going to end at some point. Hopefully, I hoped that it would, you know, I would get a, a few years really. I, I yeah. probably only really ever hoped that I would get a, a few more years and play some games of footy. But it is so, honestly, and I still don't think players in the AFL do near enough to prepare themselves afterwards. I think there's amazing programs in the AFL and AFL play, PA have all the resources and ability there for players to honestly give themselves a real leg up. But most players don't do near enough to prepare themselves for after footy. I, I talk about this a bit sometimes when I go, when I talk on stage is that, you know, you can, you can know what to do in a crisis but then when the crisis hits, you're going to have to actually do it. Unfortunately, you can only lead people to the door. They're going to have to walk mm. through it. And that's, that's really, yep. that can be really hard sometimes yep. To, yep. To, to deal with. Um, but look, I'm, I'm glad you did. And I love that you take it, took it so seriously when you were first approached about Carlton. <laughs> you went, sorry, I've got one more year to complete this apprenticeship. I appreciate it. <laughs> but what ball? Like, yeah. I, I know it's the second time I've said it in the conversation, oh. but what balls? Like, that's <laughs> huge. Yeah, it's a funny story, that one, Osha. There's a bit of... Um, is there some urban legend uh, around the there, is there? Is there is yeah. it, has it got a bit of mayo well, on it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it does because as it... Uh, I think in the recruiting at Carlton, there was a bit of, um, there was a, bit of a power struggle between recruiters. Yeah. So one particular recruiter wanted to draft me, one didn't. Um, in the end, like... It's funny. Carlton was sport, uh, speaking to me, said there's potentially an opportunity, um, blah, blah, blah. And Norwood um, said, oh, well, if you knock back that opportunity for the rookie spot, we'll, we could potentially offer you a few more thousand dollars a year. It might be three, three grand a year or something. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Let me just call the recruiter. And I was like, oh, look, just I know you can't, you can never guarantee anything, but am I... Still a chance. I'm still a chance. I'm keen. Um, and they said, no, we're not going to take you. I said, oh, honestly, perfect. Thanks very much for your honesty. Went back to Norwood and I said, fellas, I've knocked them back. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, whatever you've got to do with a negotiation, I, man. Like, I appreciate I said, that. I, I, just, I just love this footy club at Norwood. I said, I've knocked back Carlton an extra three grand a year or something. I, they're beautiful. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. So I did sort of play that. Pretty well, I thought. Having negotiated my own uh, contract directly with a uh, television network and with a radio network before, <laughs> don't even worry. I'm, exactly. It, it, brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh, it was funny. It was good. Yeah, so you get you get to mm. Carlton. You're there. Amazing. Mm. At what point did you realise that something something was kind of up? At what point did you did you go? I might I might have to see a doctor about about this. Like, well, what was the first sign? The first sign. So again, yeah. So I got there. Um, when did I move over? So December of 2011. Right. So it was really, it came out pretty quickly. So I was laying in bed one night next to my or now wife. I was just sort of like you do, Osho, sitting there just playing with the balls, right? I keep and, telling, I tell Audrey all the time. It's like, <laughs> 
No, I'm not doing what you think I am. It's just you don't <laughs> understand. Just, they they change health. shape and yeah. size depending on the temperature of the room yeah. and the humidity. I'm just repacking things because <laughs> it's uncomfortable and I'm just trying to make things more comfortable. That's it. Exactly. We'll keep running with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, look, and I just, I just felt a bit of a hard lump on one of my testicles, my left testicle, and I just thought, hmm, like, it was just hard. It wasn't sore. And it just felt hard and different. I remember saying, so to my wife now, I was like, hey, Tash, can you just have a feel of this? I mean, she's just like, oh, yeah, not tonight. Wouldn't have yeah. thought so. Um, then I was like, oh, no, it feels a bit, I don't know, it just feels a bit weird. And then I didn't actually show the club doctor for like two or three weeks, I think. But I, was, I don't know if I was trying to not think about it and just pretend that it wasn't there. I think, I think that's probably what I was doing, just going, ah, it's fine. It's nothing. I just don't want to really think about it right now. And I, I'm, I think at the time that's what I was doing, mate. You're not alone um, with you're not the, alone with that. I'm most definitely mm. guilty. If I if I just don't think mm. about it, I don't have it. Then mm. it'll be fine. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in the end, um, after my missus kept every few days, she's like, "Oh, did you just speak to the doctor yet?" And I was like, "Oh, no, I haven't yet. I will tomorrow because the doctors are there every day at footy. It's yeah. easy. They're accessible." So. Oh, yeah, I ended up showing the doctor one day and he said, I'll oh, go and get an ultrasound. So I went in there just one Friday afternoon. And I remember it was right at the start of the season and I was in the VFL. Um, so I, I remember we had VFL training on the Friday night. So I went and got the scan, I don't know, mid-afternoon or something. And then, you know, radiologists never really tell you what's going on, but if there's... If there's nothing really wrong, or now you know this, if there's nothing really wrong, they tell you what's going on. But they say, oh, the doctor has to confirm. But this, yeah, this we're is talking what about like. what we're talking about is yeah. the person uh, with the ultrasound. They're the person yeah. with the weird little wand and the cold jelly, and yeah. they they exactly. you know they're like you're the forty seventh person I've seen with their pants off today. Uh, I'm so <laughs> bored, uh, and because they do it so much, they never go. Oh, I don't really know what that is. The doctor will give yeah. you a report. They they just try to obfuscate because yeah. they don't want to be the ones to to tell you something that might essentially change your life. Exactly. So um, had the ultrasound. Um, and then um, went off and did some groceries. I was in the in the supermarket, getting some groceries for dinner. I remember the club doctor called me. He's like, "Oh, Sam, come and see me." And I was like, "Oh, look, I'll see you Monday. I've got to head off to training in a second. He's like, "No, no, mate, you got to come see me right now. I'm in this city. I'm consulting in this room. Come and see me. Like it's it's serious." And I was like, "Oh, I just remember. Like, oh, honestly, it was mostly a daze. Yeah, but I just remember I just dropped dropped it." the basket and I was just in this absolute daze driving to the city. I think I almost absolutely cleaned up a car because I was just not even yeah. thinking, couldn't even really tell you what I was thinking about. And then, yeah, went and saw the doctor and he's like, there's not much you can say. He's like, look, um, it looks like it's cancer. I've got, um, he'd already got me to go and see a specialist an, an hour later, you know, wow, yeah. which is, I was so lucky that I was at, in an AFL system because yeah. it was basically seven o'clock on a Friday night. They got me to go see a specialist, but probably one of the hardest things at that moment was I didn't know how to tell my family and my missus um, about what it was. And I remember I called Tash, my missus, I think to say, oh, look, like this, I think this is what it is, but I couldn't tell. 
I couldn't tell my parents. I just couldn't do it. And the doctor's like, oh, yeah. you want me to call them? And then he called them and I was just, I think I was just bawling my eyes out. I didn't know what oh, fair to enough. do. Yeah. Um, it's so just it's just so scary those those early particularly when it comes to you know you spent three weeks avoiding it and then when you realise that oh wow mm. this is a matter of hours this is no longer about mm. we'll see you Monday this is no 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 someone's putting their dinner down halfway through leaving their kids and driving into the city to come and mm. see me because this is the, mm. this time is such a critical things move so fast you've got no time to even process mm. what's going on it must mm. have been so yeah. intense for you. And, and I still had I still had no idea about it. Like I was so uneducated about testicular cancer or any or really any sort of um, like health related stuff. Really, I was very in tune with my body physically through footy because I, that's what I was used to and trained for. But I had I was so naive in you know the, the whole world of health. Really, so I had no idea what I was up for. Um, and that's really the couple of Probably a couple of days, my head was spinning, and then once I, f- I felt like I saw the specialist, um, and they, they saw the specialist that night, and he was like, "Okay, looks like cancer, but we're taking one of your testicles out." I was sort of like, "Oh, all right, well, you know, can you do anything else for it?" He's like, "No, that's the only way we can. Only way we can check it is to take is to take it out." So you're one down. I was like, "Oh, I was like the sort of that conversation." Like, "Oh my god." Like, Jesus, I'm losing one. All right. Well, you know, talk to me about what happens now. And so that that process was a real head spinner. That yeah. those few days was um, you know, sometimes quite comical, I think. Like I, I kind of find myself laughing at certain points of it because in a space of a couple of days, you get so used to walking into a room or to all of a sudden, walking into a room, just pulling my pants down, and a few people just fondling, <laughs> fondling your balls, to because everyone medically wants to have a feel and check it themselves. Um, to then another funny moment, which I thought was, I think in hindsight, was pretty funny. Going in to get sized up, so you you had the option of getting a prosthetic testicle, a fakie, or or not. So I went with the went with the fakie. I thought it'd be make me feel normal. So. But you have to get sized up for them. So I went into this nurse's room and <laughs> Did you have the key ring thing with them all on it? <laughs> Literally, like almost, basically. I so know that. It's bananas. Yeah. So she's like, okay, I've I've got a size up. And I'm like, probably a large, you know. <laughs> and, and then she's like, oh no, you're more of a medium. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So what, medium. Medium it is. And then um you know, had to choose the softness of it and um, all these sort of things. And I'm just like, oh, God, like, what do I, what do I do? And then she's back, she sort of guided me through. She's like, look, go this one. This is the medium. It feels, it feels better once it's in, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like, those sort of things that we're like, oh, God, like, what is going on? I'm walking here, getting sized up for a, a new ball. Like, it was, Funny, but like sort of like what the fuck is going on at the same time. 
we were so weird as as men uh, were just kind of it's drilled into us that our uh, definition of how masculine we are or what we can achieve or how you know powerful we are as a person has to do with the size of a particular <laughs> organ in our body not the content of our character i went through uh, nothing like you i went to go check because there was something going on i, I went to go check yeah. is it that what it is and it turns out it mm. wasn't it was something else um but i remember lying there on the urologist's bed there's something in los angeles where i lived there mm. and he pulled out of his drawer you know how on, sometimes when you, if you're baking, you've got measuring spoons and you've got from the 16th <laughs> of a teaspoon all the way to a tablespoon. Yeah. There's like, yeah. you know, ingredients. They're just like this big ring, like a prison key ring, right? He pulls out this thing and it's just like from the size of a ringtail possum poo all the way to the size of a potato, all right? And he just pulls it out and he has one in one hand, he has my balls in the other, and he's just kind of fondling each one, going back and forth, back and forth. And I'm looking at the size of one of them going like, that's a... That's 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 a fucking squishy baseball. How the fuck does someone walk around with that? <laughs> or, let alone, it's so common they've had to create this d medical device with it on there for men who have a ball that big. I like, uh, <laughs> just absolutely, it was wild. Uh, how uncomfortable would that be? Thank God I don't have balls like like potatoes that would be excruciating isn't that so weird that we have this thing as uh, men like i said it and inadvertently i said uh, it earlier there's like what balls you know we have this thing like this yeah. particular part of our body means more than the fact that you walked up to mm. someone and said this is what i need and mm. i wonder if that's one of the barricades uh, that was going on for you or for other men who perhaps resist even investigating treatment because we have this completely ridiculous connection to our masculinity around the size and or health of our testicles yeah i, I think in reality it was like i was naive and stubborn to the thought that uh, anything could be wrong with me. And certainly I couldn't even think that, what do you mean, my, my balls aren't right? You know, like that's something I couldn't comprehend. So like my mindset I think is, uh, and it is, very typical for a lot of young guys out there. We just, we think that we're invincible um, and this stuff doesn't, you know, what do you mean? Like cancer and stuff doesn't happen to young guys when in reality it does. Testicular cancer, and you, you know all this, Osha, like it's the most common form of cancer for young men. It's, you know, almost exclusively for people under 35 to 40. Once you get to 35 or 40, you, basically it doesn't um, happen for you anymore. It turns to, turns to prostate cancer and other, other things, but it's a young man's disease. And oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad. In footy, in AFL, there's been a handful of people um, in the last, or like since I had it, I think there's been five or six others that have had testicular cancer in the last, you know, six or seven years, which just to me just confirms and shows, and hopefully people who listen to this, hopefully maybe it makes them think that you're right, it's not uncommon, you can't hide from it, it happens to anyone and everyone potentially. So there's nothing you can do to really stop it. And like me, I was very lucky, Osha. I got it early. I was stage one. I still had chemo, but my health has been perfect since. Wow. And I never actually really felt sick from it, but it is potentially obviously very dangerous and can bloody kill you. Because I, there's, you know, someone in, in my life that uh, succumbed to 
testicular cancer, well, the cancer that came from the the testicular cancer, testicular cancer. And it's just wild because this is part of our body that there's so much stigma around checking it. I mean, we both kind Mm. of joked about how we were playing with your balls. We had to make jokes about it. There's stigma around checking it. No one's going to stigmatize a woman for checking lumps in her breast. But, yeah, not at all. You know, is it like, are you sure you're chicken? You're just having a wank there, buddy. Like, <laughs> that's going to, you could die if you don't do it. Come on. Yeah. You know, what would you say to, to, to young men about checking? Don't be that dickhead who thinks that it just can't happen to you. It, it just happens. And bloody hell, talk to your mates about it. And that's what I, I was, I was always pretty, um, I probably like I, ne- I never spoke about my emotions or he- or my he- or my health or anything like that prior to this. But there is only good things that come of it. If there's nothing wrong with you, perfect. There's still there's still there'll still be nothing wrong with you. But you've you've checked or you've had a conversation with your mate or or, or someone. But just be conscious of it. Like there's nothing. There's no harm in just actually consciously checking your balls every now and then, a few times a year, like or more often if you want to actually have a wank at the same time, Osha. So trick you yourself. Know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so fine. Like, I, I still think so many young guys are um, stubborn about it and just want to put yeah. their head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't exist or it can't happen. So as much as we can, I want to just keep pushing that message just to check it. And if something doesn't feel right, just go speak to a doctor or speak to your friends or just check it off with someone because inevitably something will come from that. Step by step. Let's say, for example, we're in the shower. Step by step, <laughs> yeah. how do we do it? Good question, Ocha. Well, um, if you're also wondering, it is on the November. Um, November have a lot of literature about it, which is good, but best off, get a nice warm shower. So as you know, it gets a little bit saggy. It's not all contracted up, so you can feel everything pretty well. Um, and just run, run if I just run your, your ball in between your, you know, your thumb and your, your first finger, and just gently rub it around. And if you can feel any, if it feels all normal and squishy, and know what your normal is, because um, everyone is different. Some people might have um, normally some different feeling testicles, but know what your normal is. And then if you feel any changes, any hard lumps or anything, then that's a sign to go get it checked. So. Um, but in order to do that, you need to do it um, semi-regularly to know what your normal is. So um, that, that's as easy it is, is, as it is, Osha. Put a note in your phone, dude. Like once a month, that's it. Yeah. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and that's mm-hmm. it. Doesn't take, doesn't take very long, like 10 seconds per ball. 10 seconds, yep. There you go. Easy. You can do that. Easy. <laughs> what are you doing in there? Absolutely. Nothing. I'm fine. You know. <laughs> I'm doing a health check. I did it again. I did it again. I can't believe how hung up I am about it, but I fucking did it again. Isn't it wild? It's so programmed into us, isn't it? To be ashamed of it. We can still still have fun with it. Yeah, it's true. We can still have fun. It is is, is true. I had... um, I, I spoke with Charlie Borman once, the uh, the long way round motorbike 
uh, writer, the actor. Oh, and okay. Yep. He, he told me this whole story about, well, my wife and I get in a bath together and then I, I and she checks me, like, and then fair enough, oh. Charlie, make a night of it. There you pop, <laughs> and that's great. And I, I, I love that idea. You know, I love that that was also yeah. because she's heavily invested in him staying alive. Uh, Absolutely. I might try and employ that tactic, see how I go. Well, it depends on how early the kids get to bed and if everything's been done around the house. I mean, not to tell you anything, but I'm just going from my own experience. <laughs> tell me about, um, you're, the, you're, in the, you're in your mid-20s, you're a, a peak, peak male fitness, and you're, you're, now you are looking at something like chemotherapy. You've been probably the most fit person you've ever known your whole life. What does it feel like to start? You said you were really in tune with your body. What was it like to kind of feel the effects of the chemo on, on your body? Mm, I was looking and feeling for every change that um, I could try and feel. And I think footy taught me some lessons that I took that I tried to take into chemo that I would um, mentally and like just I had a, a few quiet moments before I started and tried to try to put myself in a headspace to think that um, the chemo was just going to be a big uh, a big challenge for me, something that I wanted to attack and give everything that I could. Well, sort of like like I would try to treat a big training session or something. Yeah. And even though I was laying there getting drugs inject- injected into you, poison, you know, put into your veins, I tried to mentally sort of tell myself that every time that it happened it was a good thing and it was like a, you know, I try to feel like, yes, uh, thank God I'm getting the chemo today because it's <laughs> – and fun, like almost maybe sounds a bit stupid, but I tried to almost visualise all the chemo going in and finding like the, the points of cancer and sort of killing them off. And, um, I mean, look, I think anyone that goes through chemo would tell you that it's a bloody tough, and it was, but I think it was – I was honestly very lucky in this – my side effects – weren't that bad. I didn't get very sick. Um, like the all the anti-nausea drugs that they give you, they pump into you. I responded pretty well from that. So I didn't really get sick. I didn't lose weight like some people can. Yeah. I lost all the hair all over myself, which was like that was a pretty shocking sort of time because I just remember I would check my hair every day, you know, because yeah. they say they said at some stage it'll it'll just come. And I was sort of I'd be like every day I'd be like, Jeez, is there anything coming out? No, nothing, okay. nothing, nothing. And then one day it was just like that and a whole clump came out. It's just like, fuck, all yeah. right, it's, it started. Like, cause Until that point, I looked exactly like I did. Mm. I, I felt pretty pretty normal. You know, I had the, the drip in my, in my arm and stuff and I was in the hospital most of the time, but I felt and looked like myself. Yeah. I think after all the hair came out, that was sort of when it hit me again. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's all happening. So, again, I think in those moments I had to try and tell myself that, you know, that everything's going to be all right. Um, and I had good people around me, don't get me wrong. I feel like yeah. my family and um, friends are fantastic. But I think in those moments I had to keep trying to tell myself that it's going to be all right. Um, I'm going to get through this. And it's, you know, it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough in those moments. I've got to, I've got to applaud you though for having that, uh, that mindset and deliberately framing something that can be really uncomfortable, distressing, painful, even. Mm. 
uh, disruptive, framing it in a positive light. So yes, this might make my body feel shit, but it's a good thing that it's happening. Mm-hmm. And framing it like that. So just, that's a huge psychological thing. So like subconsciously, you're, mm-hmm. you know, you maybe you put yourself in a place where you're, you know, don't don't fear it so much, or you know, don't catastrophize around it, which uh, can be a real problem with any kind of mm. medical uh, situation. Any kind of catastrophizing around it can mm. really exacerbate the negative negative mm. aspects of it. And you know, I'd, you know, when you talked talked about visualizing this this drug going inside you and and destroying these these cancerous cells, th- mm. that in itself, that's pretty advanced stuff man like but it's really important because yeah. it's it's putting the subconscious framing of what's happening to you in mm. a not in a negative light and because if you just associate it with pain oh. and vomiting and hair falling out then every experience is going to be shit and uh, i i felt like it really helped me because oncology wards and anyone who's been unlucky enough to spend any time in oncology wards they're they're not fun places no. you Everywhere you look, you're reminded of sickness and, um, in, like, you know, it's really, they're really tough places. A lot of people don't leave those places and you see them yeah. and you see the pain. Like, like geez, I, I, I felt all right during all of my stuff. The hardest thing that I felt or saw was my family when they would sit there and just, and be fairly helpless, and the families of other people who were in there, like everyone, all the other families and people surrounded, the people the close to the people who are sick, are so helpless, and you can just see that everyone wants to do something and they can't. And I, I that's probably one of the things that I found the hardest because yeah. for me, like it was happening, I was getting the drugs, I was getting the treatment, the doctors were doing everything for me. I yeah. felt in in relative control about what was happening for my situation, but for everyone close to me, it was it was pretty tough because they, they everyone wants to do something to help, but there's nothing that they can do, and it's it's hard to watch people, you know, go through that, you know, that frame of mind where everyone's just desperate to help. What would you say to people who, you know, I mean? the chances are that someone you know is going to have an encounter with an oncology ward between, mm. you know, mm. someone you love yeah. at some point in your life is going to have an encounter with an oncology ward. Might be you, yeah. might be someone you love. What would you say to people about what they can do in those situations? Oh, it, when you're in there, everyone, it's, it's obvious. You're sick and you're in there for a reason. But I would think try to carry on normal conversations and, and just speak to people about, and if they want to speak about how they're feeling, um, sort of just be guided by anyone who's who's in there. But I think it would vary for everyone. I sure I don't know if I can give advice for how to how to tackle it, but really just be there for someone because regardless of what um anyone could say or do for me in that time, probably actually like just having someone, even some like some of my mates would pop in for 10 minutes. And just knowing that they'd come in for 10 minutes would put a smile on my face. Like, you know, my family was there all the time, which was something that I could always bank on and was great. But just for the people just to send you a text or, you know, come and see you for 10 minutes um, mentally does a lot for the for people who are, who are doing it pretty tough. So, um, I mean, you'd have to always be guided by people in that situation, but yeah. um, just 
know that there's nothing you can really do apart from just be there for them, really. On the other side of the, the treatment, what does it feel like? Like, did you get frustrated that you weren't getting your strength back or was it the opposite <laughs> of the, the hair situation? Was it like not working, not uh, working, not working, and then one day like, wow, I can stand up without being dizzy. Like, what what was the yeah. kind of other other side of that like? Yeah, it was it was slow. Like, it was slow because I remember I, I was still in the mindset. I was like, oh, I just want to get back and I just want to get back and play footy as quickly as I can. Of course and, you do. You've been drafted to the main you know, big Premier yeah. League team. You want to go I and prove, prove it. And I was I was so far off it then, clearly. Like I yeah. was, you know, but then I had a blood clot from the like the, the oh, pick lines man. and stuff in the I had a blood clot in my neck or shoulder here somewhere. Yeah. So then I had to be on blood thinners for another three or four months or something. So it basically it was probably good in the sense that then I could put a a very slow and um, planned out, you know, program together to get myself back up and going. And it's slow, so like your body yeah. just takes such a hit in that time. So all your, all my mental capacity and physical capacity was just to get myself healthy again. And then, then yeah. once I finally got all the good results from all the treatment, um, and that was ongoing for you know the next five years, you keep checking it. But um, I started to started to get that out of my mind and this turned my focus and attention to giving myself the best opportunity I could to succeed in, in footy because that was one of my passions that I had in life. Um, yeah. Something I'd always wanted to do was to to play AFL and I'd, I'd been on a list before but I hadn't played any games and I just started to focus all my attention um, to give myself the best opportunity. What what role did uh, you know, our wife Taj play in that in that part of the situation? Oh, she was, she was so good for me, really, because she was always there. So there during the treatment, um, like there, she was, she was a very good support in just encouraging me to keep trying to, you know, succeed and do whatever I wanted to do, you know, and what I wanted to do was, you know, play footy. Um, so she encouraged me to um, give it everything I could and she was always just there as, as a support for me. So um, certainly in those times, I'm very thankful that I had her in my life and she's certainly still there for a reason, so she's, she's a good woman. So um, no, she, she's a, um, she was a great support during that time. That's, there's no doubt about that. I, I know I've had a chat with, you know, a few men who have been through prostate cancer treatment and talked to them about the, you know, how do they maintain the kind of intimate romantic parts of their relationships <clears throat> after prostate cancer surgery. What's that What's that like uh, with, you know, testicular cancer surgery and recovery <clears throat> from that? Like how do you maintain the intimate part of a relationship on the other side of that kind of treatment? <clears throat> well, initially I... I didn't know what that meant for getting a like having a testicle removed. I didn't know what that meant initially. Like it's like, geez, can I still have kids? Is it going to make it tough? Like, what's going on there? But um, pretty quickly, I learned that in actual fact, um, one testicle is just as good as two because your body. It's like um, whoever designed us gave us an insurance policy because um, once if you lose one, yeah, other testicle. Ups its production and just goes right. Hey guys, we've lost one soldier. Let's um, let's let's work a bit harder. So we're doing double shifts, uh, boys. <laughs> it is. We're doing night shift. Everyone's going twenty four hours a day now. So 
Um, look, it's I was lucky in the sense that so um, I've got a three-year-old son now, so I've I didn't have any troubles um, having kids after that. Which um, the testicular cancer doesn't necessarily cause any issues. The chemo can chemo can yeah. make you infertile. So that was always something that I would have to look at. But in the you know, when I said those few days where everything was going very quickly, in those few days when I first got diagnosed to before I started chemo, I had to go put um, some sperm in the bank. So in that in that little window before I started chemo, I uh, very quickly went into one of those one of those beautiful rooms where there's a oh, I, I don't know if you ever had to go into those rooms, Osha. I have actually, uh, I yeah. have, and it's. It's a very strange experience. Yeah. You get to reception and they go, oh, everyone's, just, everyone's busy in there at the moment. We'll just, um, that the, the guy will be finished in a couple of minutes. We'll just go clean up and then you'll be in in a couple. I was like, oh, every 10 minutes someone's coming and waking in these rooms. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, all right, no worries. I'll, uh, I'll just wait until this guy's done and then I'll go in. So I, I remember walking in and they're, they're, everything's there on for shows. They're like there's, Porn mightn't have been what it is now, how accessible it is. But there, yeah, there was DVDs, magazines, yeah. TV ready to go there, everything. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think I've touched it now. So who knows what's what's going on in those things. Like, again, back to that point, why are we so, um, you know, why do we laugh about it so much when someone's got a gun in there and, and you know, put some sperm in a cup? There's, there's obviously there's a medical reason why we need to do it. Yeah. <laughs> nothing to be ashamed of. It's um, someone's, you know, doing it for all these different reasons so geez we don't need to hide all these all these things that we do all the time just a moment away from sam to say that uh this podcast is supported by people like you uh yes we do play ads but to help us keep the lights on here we do draw a lot on the uh patreon support patreon.com slash osher for the price of a cup of coffee once a month you can make sure this show stays with you throughout your year three times a week at the podcast awards the other night, Dad Pod was one of the very few podcasts that was up for anything, which was not produced by a radio-backed podcast company or a podcast company which is run by a much larger media company or publishing company or a TV company. We're out there on our own, baby. And um, as an independent podcast, we... We rely on support from people like you. Podcasting, independent podcasting is super duper important. Uh, not just this one, but any independent podcast. You can help independent podcasts stay on air and help conversations that otherwise wouldn't make it into the public sphere by supporting independent podcasts. Patreon.com slash Osher. And while I'm sitting here with my hat out asking you for money, Movember.com slash Osher. Sam and I are both Movember ambassadors. We're both trying to grow a moustache for a cause and you can donate to either of us to help support the Movember Foundation and their vital suicide prevention work and mental health programs, as well as their incredible work in um, supporting people and families who are affected by prostate and testicular cancer. Movember.com slash Osher, uh, you can do that while you listen to a few ads and we're back with more from Sam in just a moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You ended up playing 100 games for AFL. <laughs> like... When you were kind of like in the mid, say in the mid 70s, mid 80s, on your way to 100, what was it? Did you look, do you think you approached the games differently because it was so close to you never doing it? Uh, or because you had, not even without the testicular cancer, with the false start, with uh, going out mm-hmm. to, to Norwood, like, did you think you had more appreciation of, you know, what it was to be walking out of that field every time versus other guys who maybe had a, a more straight line from the, the day they mm-hmm. got drafted as a rookie? I, I think so. I, I always, I, I think I did in the sense that because I've had footy, um, yeah, I, I was started and got delisted and then I came back and then, the, you know, the cancer came. So I felt like if I could play again, came back, if I could play one game, I was, I'd be wow. so proud of myself, so yeah. proud. And I'd be like, geez, what an achievement. Like, after all that, I've got back to play one game of AFL. And then you play that first game and you go, Poor, Jesus, this is so good. I'm going to do everything I can to just not get dropped next week and then, um, you know, just do everything I can to just get another few games because this is so good. And then I probably established myself after a couple of years. Like probably the, the first year I started playing, I was in and out and then established myself in the team. And I, th- I think then – your mindset sort of turns from I didn't think I was going to oh, I wasn't going to get dropped every week, but then I kept doing everything I could to try and achieve something um, with the team. So I think I oh I know I always appreciated and knew that footy was tough. It could stop at any stage, and I I really appreciated and um, you know knew that everything that I was getting in footy I had to earn, and I. You know, I was very proud in the end that geez, I, I got to 100, like 99 with the Blues and um, just missed out on the 100 at Carlton, which would have been nice, but then um, ended up knocking out one more game with the, the Sainers at the end. So I finished my career. I, I would have loved to have some more team success because the Blues was in a pretty pretty dry era where we didn't win many games. But I could honestly get like finish. I can sit back now and go, Oh, do you know what? I literally did give it everything I had and played 100 games of AFL, which is more than I ever imagined, more than I ever really dreamt of. And I'm so proud that I was able to do that. Yeah, even, even now, somebody go, geez, oh, I did, I'd been all right in the end. Yeah, it's like the, the, the dream career you've, you've described. There's <laughs> something that you mentioned before, though, that once you're able to prove yourself to the point where being dropped was no longer a thing you had to worry about every week. You shifted your focus to doing something for the t- like. Like, does that mean mm. every game you're like, how can I be a part of something that's 
great for everybody. Was that what you were trying to achieve yeah. every game? I tried to play and be the best teammate that I could because definitely initially I was – and I, my mindset was is very common for young guys or people who are trying to establish themselves. You're just trying to perform for yourself really just to, to get yourself in that team. And I think once you establish yourself, like, well, anyone who lasts has to do it for more than just themselves. So I always tried to – be the best teammate that I could and play my role um, so that we could succeed as a team. Because all really playing is good. And but once you as I said, once you get past that that point, you want to win. Um, and winning with your team is the best feeling in the world, really. It's very hard to replicate in life. That that feeling of after a game of game of sport, especially at the highest level, is such an amazing feeling to win a game of footy with your teammates. Um, and you you learn to try and replicate that feeling as much as you can and do whatever you can to replicate that again and again. And, um, yeah, we weren't all that good with it, the Blues, but um, the, actual, the actual challenge of trying to replicate that is is the challenge was, was really hard but satisfying, really. What you mentioned before about, um, you know, trying to be the best teammate that you could. You know, I mean, we love sport because sport is not only war without weapons. Sport is something that can bring analogies into our everyday lives. And the idea that showing up, not just for me, I'm showing up for all of us, it really shifts how you are when you're at work or, or with your family or like doing whatever. It, it changes the experience. And in my experience, it changes to a far more satisfying one. Yeah, I think so too. Like, uh, Footy's team sport, clearly, um, you cannot achieve anything by yourself. And I find, I find, I do this in life now, I don't want to do anything by myself, really. I want to, I want to do everything with people and I want to try and um, succeed with people because I, I find that a lot more satisfying than succeeding by yourself. I think that's, for me anyway, I find that a bit, um, a bit boring and um, if you can't share it with anyone, then... Um, what's the point of it? So, you know, I guess I guess I live by that. Really, I, everything I do, I want to do with people, and I want to succeed with people. And I think sports no different. And you can all the good teams. I think the good teams in footy have the majority of people uh, are, are like minded like that. You have to do it with each other and for each other because um, every team's got superstars and they'll they'll keep doing their thing. And but if everyone else can band together and and with those those guns in the team as well. And that's when you, that's when you actually um, do good things. Mate, I could, I could talk to you for hours, bro, but I just can't thank you enough for having <laughs> this conversation with me today. Um, like you've got a lot of wisdom and your, your son's a lucky man to have you as a dad <laughs> to be able to, not really, to have that kind of, no, not everyone's dad's been through what you've been through. So that he gets to have you, you know, you get to pass on the lessons that you've had to go through shit to learn. And this yeah. kid will get in to take those lessons and then go from there, mate. It's been amazing. I think if I'm to, you know, run onto the field after the podcast and, and, and get the, you know, your breathless kind of, uh, you know, sports reporter, Sam, how did the podcast go, mate? <laughs> Uh, oh, look, uh, Osha, very good, mate. Uh, no, Osha, honestly, it's it's been great to great to speak with you. Um, <laughs> I appreciate. No, seriously, I appreciate um, everyone who who helps Movember and helps raise the awareness for guys and and their health. And um, this message is is an important one and one we need to keep um, 
we need to keep pushing it because it's it's bloody important for the for the dads and the the mates and the and the the sons in our lives because um, you know there's you know we always need to help each other and, and do what we can for each other. So anyone, if you're listening to this and you have access to the the, the if you're a man person uh, with testicles, uh, you can put in your phone right now, monthly repeat, Sam Rowe wants me to check my balls today. Yeah. And if you're a lady person who has a man person with testicles in your life, whether they be a teenager or whatever, go into their phone and put a monthly reminder in there and you can say, Sam Rowe wants me to check my balls today. <laughs> and there it is. It's in your phone now. And it'll go, oh, what am I supposed to do? Ah, oh, that's right. That's what I'm doing in the shower today. You're amazing, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. And that was Sam Rowe. Massive thanks for Sam uh, coming on the show and being so open with his story. It was pretty awesome to, to hear it from him. To support Sam or anyone in your life that's growing a, a moustache this Movember, movember.com. Mine is movement.com slash Osher. I'm sure Sam's is movement.com slash Sam Rowe. Just search his name, you'll find him. It's, it's the last few days. I think I've actually got a photo shoot. I think it's tomorrow or the next day. I don't know if the publicist will let me keep my moustache because the photos are coming out in February or something. If you can sling us a couple of bucks, please do. If you can't, I understand. Times are tight. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. If you want to have a chat about anything you heard on this show or any show, Discord is a great spot. You can find the link in the show notes. A big thanks to Bree Steele, who produced and researched this episode, Andy Ma on uh, audio and visual post-production, Toe for all the music, and, uh, of course, Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of everything. She's a goddamn legend. Can Dance and turned me onto a sick band called Thumpasaurus the other day, and I'm very happy about it. I got a jet. I'll cross this in the midnight. All right. I gotta go to bed. I'll see you Wednesday. Look after yourselves. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.